0: everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal, Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and there, as always, is... Howard Tybal. Oh, you paused this time. I did. I was doing that for you every time we do this. Yeah, it's becoming I never a know. Shtick. This is like one of those games where, you
1: know, rock, paper, scissors.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> Howard, it's good to hear your voice. You're coming to
1: us from uh, a lovely uh, Chautauqua, New York. Yeah, it's, it's a remarkable week here, too. It's the... Uh, it's the uh, Ethics of Privacy Week, and the the speakers coming this week are going to be remarkable. So it's uh, it's great. To, it's a privilege to be here.
0: Remind me, uh, I don't want you in my email anymore. Okay, I know. know. I should I know. start changing all my passwords from
1: you. And by the way, this is Ruth. This is where Pete and I met.
0: Oh, yes, oh. it is. It oh. is. And and that is our our fantastic guest today, Ruth Johnston, Associate Vice Provost, Organizational Excellence from the University of Washington. How are you Ruth? Thank you so much for being here.
2: I'm very excited to be talking to both of you and the weather here in Seattle is just perfect. Clear, sunny, warm. Um this is the place to be in the summer.
0: That nice. is so true. You've got you've got what probably uh 16 hours left in your summer before it starts raining
2: again? <laughs> more like <laughs> <Nah>. two months. <laughs> but Howard will be here soon, so that's he'll right. get to experience yes, our right. wonderful city. Well, that's it's right. so
0: delightful, I'm, speaking personally, having somebody from, you know, the, the, the uh, our coast. Yes. So, why are you here today, Ruth? You have set up some organizational excellence. This this uh, The Office of Organizational Excellence is uh, clearly a best practice institution, and we want to hear more about that. First of all, however, you have this This event coming up on July 23rd, which uh, hopefully. Uh, you will not regret inviting Howard <laughs> to speak. Uh, well, Talk to us we, a little bit
2: about that. Sure. We intentionally invited Howard to talk about this. Wait, intentionally? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, for several different reasons. Um, he recently spoke at the annual Wakubo conference that was in Las Vegas, and a number of our colleagues um, heard him and came back and said, we've got to bring him here to the University of Washington. So that was high testimony um, from my perspective. Um, the other thing is, um, aside from Howard's um, excellence and and his reputation, Uh, we're working very hard at the university to try to help people become Better, both individually and collectively, as um, institutions and organizations. Um, The University of Washington is very big, very large, and we actually have the need to build capacity for people to do this type of work. They're really good at the work that they do, you know, the specific technical work, whether it be, you know, a physician who's helping patients or a staff member who's um, processing um, various types of work like admissions or payroll or something like that, but learning how to do it better you know, process improvement, communications, strategic planning, decision making. In this case, we are asking Howard to help us with group decision making, because increasingly we are working more as a matrix and working across units, uh, which is much harder to do than in the more typical silos. And then communicating about it. uh, There's always calls for uh, more transparency, more uh, background about how decisions are made, and how people can actually uh, play more effectively within our institution. So that, I think he's going to be really good about being able to focus on that and provide some specific tools for people that, of course, we hope then they will start to use and will all become better and better as an organization.
0: I think that's a, that's a wonderful place to start off, particularly leveraging off of this point that University of Washington is uh, not a small institution. <laughs> this idea that, the, that the, the order of magnitude increase in groups and teams that are having to come together to, to make decisions and, and move progress uh, in such a complex environment uh, sort of begs this kind of thinking. Howard, when you look at, uh, at an institution like UW, how do you approach thinking about uh, effective decision-making in a space of such complexity?
1: Well, what's really interesting, and I I am really thankful, Ruth, that you're bringing me into this conversation with your teams, because in many ways, uh, the people that show up for these events, especially since they're opting in, is you're in some ways speaking to the choir. I mean, these are people Mm -hmm. that... Uh, struggle with, like we all do, effective communication, which is the foundation for making good decisions. Uh, But Pete, when I look at a large versus a small institution, you know, a school with 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 students, or or an institution with 25,000 students, in the end, it's there's still, within each department, a core group of people that have to lead the effort to know what the vision is, to be able to communicate that to some small body, to work with some other group. So it doesn't, my experience after the, all these years is, regardless of, of you having 17,000 employees versus 2,000 employees, uh, there are teams that get put together that are typically the right size, sometimes a little bit too large, but they just need to learn how to have a conversation with each other where they're talking about the same things. And and after all these years of doing group decision-making training and writing about it, what I see that's the missing piece is we often don't step back and clarify what is the problem we're trying to solve? What is the conversation we're trying to have? Um, And being explicit about that. So we often find ourselves with five people having five different conversations, but thinking that we're talking about the same thing. So, So at the heart of what I, I don't go into these conversations with a large institution and think it's a whole different—it's it, a whole different—the scale's different, without question. The issues are the same, and maybe there's a little more demand to be even more explicit because you may have more people participating. Uh, so, you know, Ruth, when I, when I I when you think about it from your perspective, I'm curious about when you look at this, do you think scale— uh, has a significant impact on the effectiveness around the decision-making? Or is it really a matter of just giving them the tools so that they can deal with the difference in scale?
2: Yeah, I don't think that the size of the institution matters that much, Um I think good communication skills are needed by everyone at every level. What happens, I think, in higher ed in particular, because so much of decision making is based on relationships, which means sometimes politics, that figuring out ways to navigate around that and how to build the alliances that you need and the, and the genuine relationships so that you can build trust and credibility, uh, to me, that's one of the most important pieces. But that's true anywhere you go.
1: Yeah, and you know, just yesterday I was talking with somebody here at the Chautauqua Institution about the kind of retaining tradition, plus figuring out how they're going to innovate uh, for the future generations, looking out twenty years, and and you know, it's the exact same kind of challenge that higher ed, higher ed institutions have. But it occurred to me as we are, as I was sitting and discussing this, and I'm curious about your perspective of this. You know, I've got a decision making model. I'm going to teach your group, and mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 first step is, what's the problem we're trying to solve? But but, but what occurred to me the other day was, I think because there are so many interdependencies between the kinds of issues and opportunities we're dealing with, the, the first question may really need to be, is this a problem worth solving? Uh You know, if there is 20 different ways of characterizing here's our problems, I think sometimes we can go blindly into just because we've identified it as a problem, it's worth solving. And I think part of what we have to do a better job of before we invest all of our time and energy in a group in trying to solve a problem or create something new is to really be clear that there's value in solving that.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up. I do a tremendous amount of strategic planning um, using the balanced scorecard approach of strategy maps and probably have three or four different uh, schools and colleges engaging in that right now. And um, even yesterday I was talking to one of the deans and she said, you know, I I have this one fabulous employee who keeps coming up with these great ideas and I just don't know how to evaluate them. And I said, "Uh, Dean X, this is why we're doing a strategic map because you'll have a framework then to base your decisions decisions on. You can weigh any new idea against the strategies you're trying to achieve. She said, oh yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And so with every group, um, I'm really trying to help them create some type of an understanding of where is it that they're trying to go to? Because we have so much opportunity, you know, within our community and uh, the vastness of Seattle and the wonderful partners we have, like with the Gates Foundation, um, that we have more opportunity than we can seize. So we need to know what is the right thing to do. And doing that in a group like strategic planning is both hard, but absolutely critical. And the more tools we have, the better.
1: You know, so you raised for me something else I actually want to run by you. And obviously, one of the things we want people to do is this, is to get a sense of what this event is upcoming. And ultimately, the foundation here is to be able to do better group decision making. And I'm going to help them step through a seven-step process that I came up with years ago that, that sort of has evolved uh, based on working with different teams in in different uh, nonprofit education sectors. Um So and then they're going to get a chance to practice with this with some real time examples of their own that I'm going to get them to, you know, to investigate so they can then walk away and go, all right, we're going to take this back with us and experiment this uh, back at our office. But Uh here's what here's what really I find interesting looking at the UW Organizational Excellence Program on your website. You know, I'm working with a number of other schools. We are uh, on you know, Tybal Inc., where one of the things they don't have, and it's more of a vision, and they don't have even close to the capacity, is to build that internal expertise versus every time they have a new initiative, they got to draw from the outside, or they got to draw from a consultant or an expert to help drive change. Okay. And What I'm really impressed with is that you have set up an infrastructure that is really about building that internal competency to provide that support back across the institution. So how did you do that? I mean, if you were giving guidance to other institutions about building that kind of internal competency, what would you tell them to do first or second to get that thing started?
2: Well, ours is a very complex story, and certainly organizational excellence, um, as it is in its current form, really only started last September. But I. Have been doing this type of work at the university for over 20 years, um, starting in my particular career in the uh, training and development office, where I was director for five years. But then moving into uh, finance as the quality improvement champion. You know, quality improvement, total quality management was very popular back in the early 90s. And through the support of the senior vice president, um, she built the capacity within her organization for me to work with the people in at that point about a 600 person organization. But as people started seeing the results, they started asking for additional support. And so over the last uh, seven or eight years, I was asked to start going into various schools and colleges to do this work. However, I'm not the only person doing it. And that's the real beauty. And that's what I would say in terms of um, advice to others is build that capacity, have leaders who believe in this. And I would say that we have in our 17 schools and colleges and our various administrative areas, probably. 30 people at various levels of more entry-level organization development to the more senior uh, people who do this as part of their jobs. And so they have come together as a self-directed work group to work together to learn from each other and to build capacity. So when the provost decided to actually make this into a formalized program, I'm now leveraging um, the work of the entire university who's interested in this to try to build more capacity. So it's really kind of top-down, bottom-up, across diagonal. And that's where I love to work in that kind of messiness and the um, ability to seize this idea from this person and link them to another and then work together to solve a problem. So
1: How, how has this been received by uh, the university? Has it been Welcome or do you do you, or is it I would assume there are always pockets of resistance but for the most part because you deal this did this bottom up top down leverage it also laterally would you would you is your experience that for the most part people are very appreciative that you're out there and and, and are helping them or do you overwhelm, or do you are you still overcoming the need uh, to get people to see the value of this.
2: I think the value is well understood. Certainly there's always going to be pockets. And my philosophy has always been go play where people want to play, you know, unless you're being asked to go in and do something. But I started um, this current role um, in the last year or so by meeting with each individual dean or chancellor um, to kind of tell them what we're about. That is inevitably, um, drew some business, but many of them, because they're good leaders and they also want to be better leaders have already been seeking out that type of opportunity. And so not only do we exist, but there's a group that helps, uh, with the research side and there's a four fee group. And there's also a group that helps, um, specifically with lean in the finance and facilities area. So we have lots of different pockets. We're also, uh, founding members of NCCI, the network for change and continuous innovation used yep. to be, um, You know the Quality Improvement Group, and I was on the board for several years. And actually, um, building relationships with others who do this work has been um, extremely valuable, not only for me, but also for colleagues who join. And in fact, we have a session coming up um, at the NCCI conference, which immediately precedes Nakubo, and I'm doing um, a session on organizational excellence with two colleagues um, who do the same work, one at University of Virginia, Sarah Colley, and one at Belmont University, Paula Gill. And so we're going to be telling our story of how we're structured, which is entirely different from each other.
1: Fantastic! That's great. You've
0: got this wonderful uh, uh, set of resources up on the um, um, uh, on the University of Washington website, and we'll I'll absolutely post a link to uh, to this sort of landing area uh, in the show notes. There is a section in here under the uh, two Years, Two Decades" uh-huh. uh, section. Could you talk a little bit about that, and specifically in the context of of you know this idea of uh, kind of shared decision making. What comes to mind for me is this idea of uh, you know, collaboration across complex environments. And you have mm-hmm. this whole section in here on fostering collaboration in the 21st mm-hmm. century initiative. I wonder mm-hmm. if you could just talk about those two sort of elements and and, and how those have come about.
2: Sure. Just a, a little bit of history. Um, when the economy, you know, downturned, um, our then president said to our then provost, um, we need to have a, an immediate plan so that we continue to be one of the best universities in the world. And that's the two years to two decades is how that was coined. And in a sense, when you look at the graphic that's basically our strategic plan, and it was created by um, a number of senior leaders across the university, um, having conversations about what should our focus be. And you'll see things on there like um, infrastructure investment and decreasing costs and reducing administrative burden and um, improving, you know, our infrastructure. Um, So those are kind of the focus areas. And the collaboration piece has a lot to do not only working across the academy to do teaching and research, um, but also to work together to really identify what are our administrative priorities so we can best support the core missions. That was done with a group called the Sustainable Academic Business Planning Group, of which I was able to um, serve on or at least sit on. And uh, then we went out to the entire community um, and asked their feedback. Uh, What should our values be? What should our focus be? And so again, a lot of iterative back and forth, which tends to be our process here, you know, come up with some ideas, vet them, vet them again, back and forth, back and forth. And that seems to work pretty well for us. You know, does everybody always feel like they're included? No. Does everybody have an opportunity? Should they choose to? Absolutely.
0: Well, you know that's one of the things that I like so much about it, and and kind of spinning off of the, you know, questions Howard had. That this this idea that, and I'm coming at it from the perspective of a faculty member, uh-huh. uh, that there is nowhere in this uh, in the literature that you have posted here that this initiative is about top down kind of we're going to tell you how to collaborate and then you will do it. Uh-huh. Rather, the approach that this has been. Uh, thought of from the perspective of institutionalizing behavior from the very uh-huh. front line, lowest level employees to or uh, to the very, uh, very, very top of leadership. It, it uh-huh. feels very sort of holistic in that regard. Uh-huh. Uh, intentional, I assume.
2: Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> That's key for me is to be, I mean, everyone here is a valued contributor. It uh, doesn't matter what your position is. And I, it's really important for me to see faculty believe that staff are valuable and staff to understand how faculty are valuable. And then that administration actually is a support mechanism so that everybody can do the best job they can do. Um, so it's very intentional. That's my philosophy, absolutely. And I would say I've got tremendous support from the president and the provost and all the other senior leadership.
1: Well, I'll tell you something, what I'm particularly excited about is that I'm walking into a situation where we've got active listeners. We have people who, including yourself, who are inviting even more, uh, learning how to deal with the ambiguity uh-huh. of change. And uh, I think the, you know, the only thing I'm interested in from you is, at this point, is, what, um, is there anything else that you'd like people to know about what they'd be coming to for this event, you know, besides the topic that I'm going to be getting into?
2: Well, I'm always really interested in people having a chance to network with each other and learn from each other. Uh, The amount of work that's being done, unfortunately, um, at the university is often each school college unit has to reinvent the wheel. So for example, um, we have to hire people. Well, we know centrally what we have to do to do that, but within the school or college or administrative unit, they have to have their own set of processes and how to hire people. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could create a set of standardized practices that people could then choose from and modify as needed rather than everybody having to reinvent? So with um, up opportunities like this, these learning opportunities, they can say, oh, I've been working on curriculum scheduling, or I've been working on support to research for faculty. Great, let's learn from each other. And so the more that we can build that capacity and that understanding that everybody's doing great work, so we don't have to reinvent, that's going to be a real bonus.
1: Well, I'll tell you, Pete, as I'm listening to Ruth, I have one thought, and I know you're thinking it, too. We have to have her back. <laughs> I <laughs> was thinking it. We don't have enough time. Uh. To, I mean, there's so many things I'd want to get into with you. So, I mean, this is the beginning. You and I will be together in three three weeks or so, and then um, and then we'll see where it goes. But this is, from my point of view, you are... You are doing internally what in many places they don't even either have the infrastructure or the background uh-huh. and they need that kind of guidance to at least get the conversation started. And my philosophy has always been and continues to be that my role as an external person is to help people internally help themselves. The, the, the Edgar Schein model of uh-huh. process consultation, which in one breath is very hard to do because sometimes people just want the answer. But I think the reality is what we have to do more of is teach them how to ask the right questions uh-huh. and live with the fact that it's okay to keep these questions open. And, and my guess is, it, but, and answer them appropriately, but not jump to an answer just because we're uncomfortable with the ambiguity. Exactly so yeah, i'm excited
2: stu- i am too i've been studying this for my whole career my dissertation was on plan change in higher education from the senior levels wow. at three different institutions and so i get to do what i love and study what i love i'm i'm in a very good place well That's it is awesome.
0: it is wonderful thank you so much for uh, taking your time to join us for this conversation as howard said I, I i definitely hope you will you will join us again and we can dive even deeper
2: I'd be happy to. This is going to be great. It'll be fun to see you, Howard.
0: Well, you know, don't say that until it's done. (laughs) Pete knows
2: me too well. This is the problem. He's
0: getting way too comfortable. (laughs) I guess so. Uh, This has been a great conversation. Howard, do we have anything else for the people?
1: I'm I'm just thrilled to be learning from somebody who's figured out how did make this happen internally because that's one of the things that I'm trying to imbue that idea and and I've learned a lot already just from listening to Ruth that it's not even about coming in there and putting the program together it's really about setting the stage in advance and that at the right time what you've done is you institutionalized it but it, it's it, it there was a lot of pre-work for you to get to where you are today so Absolutely. So that that to me is an important lesson for people you know there's no right time to start you know just start building something and you got to have the right leaders with the right capacity so um so I, I think we're we're going to be giving a lot back and forth to each other in this process.
0: It, it sounds like it. I, for those who are listening to this at UW, uh, I, we will definitely post uh, the link to the registration page in the show notes. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's got a lot of letters and abbreviations in it. So j- it'll just be a thing you can click on rather than read it out here. Uh, so uh, we'll post that there. For everyone else, uh, I, I think it is safe to say, keep an eye on UW and what they are doing in terms of organizational excellence and building capacity. We'll post a link to the uh, OE site, which is uh, publicly available. It is a wonderful resource of, uh, that catalogs what a best practice institution is doing uh, to institutionalize uh, this sort of new behavior. So uh, on behalf of Ruth Johnston and of Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright. Thank you so much. Uh, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel, Inc. Thank you.